Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the third Sunday in Lent for the week of March 3rd, 2024, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to begin this week's podcast, and I am excited that welcome to March. I know it's kind of surreal. I know it's very odd to be thinking that we're already in March. It's amazing how fast the year continues to move along. But it's also an interesting time that we are entering into that middle part of the Lenten season. And again, that middle part of reflection, that middle part of thinking about contemplating where are we at in this journey. And again, as I stated at the beginning of Lent, I really do enjoy Lent with the aspect of the self-reflection. And I think where we've been going with some of these topics, where we're going this week, I think it's this continued self-reflection of what we have to keep contemplating and looking at, thinking about where are we going with a lot of these different things. This week in particular, we're going to be looking at an environmental issue and talking about that a little bit further and thinking about how do we get to this point and what do we do from here. And it means sometimes that we might need to do some changes in our own actions. There might be times that we need to be putting pressure on things, thinking about things in new and different ways. And that's a hard thing to be thinking about, a hard thing to do. But yet it's so vital for us to be able to grow as individuals. And let's talk about then the question that we have from last week is where do we need to be flexible and where do we need to allow ourselves to listen and hear so that we are able to grow? I think this is one of the moments where we can really learn from children. If you think about it, children have to be flexible. Their brains are still growing. They're technically still malleable in that way where they're trying to learn. And so it's allowing them to think and continue to grow and look at things from new perspectives. And I think as we are in the world in which we're in, I think there's a lot of places where we need to be able to do that. We need to be able to reflect and listen and think. And it means that there's going to be things that we have thought were set in stone that aren't set in stone. It means that we might need to reevaluate and rethink about things. We might need to reconsider things. And this week, especially with where we'll go with the science tie-in later on, that's one of the things we'll kind of be looking at and questioning this week. But I think especially as we are dealing with a lot of change, specifically even within the technology realm of what's going on right now within tech, I think it allows us to be thinking about and contemplating how is the world changing and are we allowing the change to happen with us or without us. And I think that's where at times we need to be flexible to be able to listen and think and still offer constructive criticism instead of standing and shouting. And sometimes then all that does is leave you behind. So it's this weird place that we're in that sometimes we need to actually participate with it and then give the constructive criticism instead of just yelling at it. And I think that's the weird spot in which we're in. And it means that we have to be able to listen and hear what also is going on with things. So let's just jump into it. The Old Testament text this week is out of Exodus chapter 20, the first 17 verses of it. This is one of the locations where we get the Ten Commandments. And what is the Lord kind of stating for us The Lord has brought us out of Egypt, but we have no other gods before us. We aren't making idols and bowing down to them. 
and we remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And it's these recognitions then of what God was able to do in doing that for us to be able to recognize these things. In that, we then have to honor each other, but honor our elders, your mother and father, not murder, not commit adultery, not to steal, not to lie, and not to covet things that other people have. So this idea of how, again, the first few being about a relationship with God, but also then how we have this relationship with each other and making sure that we are being held accountable to that and making sure that we are being true to what we say we're being about. And again, these are all a little bit, there's some definite teasers there on where we'll be going this week with our science tie-in. The psalm this week is Psalm 19, all 14 verses of it. And this is the recognition first and foremost that God is the one who is over all of this. And that in doing that, it allows us to be able to slowly understand more and more of how the world works, but also realize within that that there's also a healthy fear because God is the one in control, not us. And recognizing that the relationship that we have with God, the words, the wisdom that we receive from God is more valuable than anything that we can acquire here. It's not necessarily our own thoughts. It's not our own being. It's God working through us that a lot of these things are happening. So it's this recognition of how God works through us. And it's not something to be necessarily bragged about, but something that we are paying homage to and recognizing and acknowledging in a more of a humble way and recognizing that our own wisdom doesn't come from us. The epistle text this week, our second reading, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is where some of the rubber starts to meet the road this week in the recognition of how God's wisdom and the wisdom of us is not the same. And it's the recognition that the wisdom that God has is generations long where we have one lifetime. And in that, there are going to be things that make sense from a world perspective because we have such a short glimpse at it that are really foolish in the long run and that we have to then trust and lay into that the wisdom that comes from God, the wisdom that what we can learn from God is much better than what we can learn from humankind. And so this constant balance that we have when thinking about that and trying to understand is it from God or is it from us or where is God in what we're learning and trying to figure that all out. The gospel text this week is out of John chapter 2 verses 13 to 22. And remember when we're in John, we get a little bit of John's theology in there and this week is no different. It's the Passover and Jesus is in Jerusalem. He goes to the temple and finds people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and money changers. Now, remember at this time, these would have been different animals for sacrifices, which was commanded in the Old Testament. The money changers also being that there were specific types of coins that they weren't supposed to have. So again, the idea of give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, the Roman coins and different things of that nature were seen as you're not supposed to have these, so they would have this exchange so that they could still have cash in there or drop them in, but being able to fulfill that you're not giving some other government money within the temple. And Jesus gets quite upset with this. 
Jesus is upset that people in his mind are making his father's house a marketplace and not the recognition of what it's actually supposed to be. And then there's these questions back and forth where Jesus eventually gets to the point of destroy this temple and I will rise it up in three days. The Jews and people around are like, this temple was under construction for 46 years. How are you going to rise it up in three days? This is where we get a little bit of theology of John. He was referencing more his body, that it would be raised up in three days. And the disciples remembered this later on after it all happened. But this idea again of how Jesus is recognizing how what was meant to be a sacrifice has turned into something else. And that's what the frustrating thing is. And recognizing this opportunity to create cash is getting in the way of the potential sacrifice and connection that people could be having from God because people are trying to make a buck. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do shameless plugs for Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainways podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some perspective and different ideas. There's great commentaries over there, along with some great podcasts and discussions. So, if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy how they lay out the text each week right there on one page. Makes it super easy to follow along, but also the art, prayers, hymns, colors, devotions, ways to be incorporating things into your service. It's a great resource. It's really awesome to be able to think and look at these different things. And if you haven't checked it out, I'd highly recommend it because it is a really great resource. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publication. These newsletters, either in a weekly or monthly, give reflections along with different events and different things that are going on to think about ecological echoes, implications, and urgencies that can be brought into your weekly preaching as well. If you enjoy listening to this podcast for a half an hour each week, talking about how I bring faith and science into this, you'll enjoy looking at these lectionaries, talking about how they are seeing God out typically in nature and tying that in. So I'd highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. That will be the first link in the references section in the show notes. Finally, I also have to bring up the Gus Davis Academy for Faith, Science, and Ethics that is happening this year on June 15th through the 21st at Gus Davis Adolphus College. This is an amazing opportunity for high school students. It's more geared to those high school students who are trying to figure out how faith and science come together, and it's an amazing program. I was able to be part of it a little bit last year. It was one of my highlights of the year, was spending time with these kids, and it's awesome to see these young thinkers looking at and thinking about and contemplating these different things. This year's subject is How and Why We Sleep, Revelations in Rest. I'm really excited to hear about this and hear from science professionals on rest talking about it this year. And as I've kind of teased these last few weeks, I was thinking about it and I'm saying, why don't I just announce the actual discount code that I have here? The code is through the 30th of April, and it is E-X-T-R-Z-A 
24 and that is a $50 coupon off the registration fee. Extra with the Z before the A. So Extraza24 is the discount code for you. And I'm just so excited for the opportunity. So if you're a high school student and are looking at trying to figure out how faith and science come together, I'd highly recommend checking out the Gus Davis Faith, Science, and Ethics group and checking out this program this summer. And I hope to see you there. I think before we really get into the faith and science part of this, we have to remember that what the people are doing in theory makes sense. The marketplace, as Jesus puts it, that's going on outside is selling things to be able to provide sacrifices. What's probably more irritating here to Jesus is the aspect that they're making money off of this. That yes, they have the money changers, but they're figuring out ways to take some additional off the top. And this is then preventing people from being able to go into the temple and actually connect with God in that way. It's making the connection to God harder. It's making this more difficult. It's hurting people. It's the wisdom of the self, as we kind of hear in 1 Corinthians, over the wisdom of what God is really striving for. And when I was thinking about this and contemplating this, I came across something and it was just, I couldn't ignore it. It fit too well into what this subject is for this week. It talks about how the science of things sometimes doesn't always lead to the best results. And we have to be able to acknowledge that and think about it and be critical of it instead of doubling down and making sure that people just normalize it. So one question I have for you is, have you ever contemplated how much plastic is in our world? And the crazy thing about plastic is plastic wasn't a very common thing till right after World War II. Now it's stated that much of what we consume and eat has microplastics within it, whether we want them to be there or not. And that we are finding it all over the globe and all of the oceans that we now can't avoid it. We have to wait for this stuff that basically doesn't break down to break down. And the funny thing is, is when you think about it, we have better ways of doing some of this than we are currently doing. So let's get into this. The history of the plastics industry comes out of World War II. We were trying to figure out something that was light and malleable to make things easier for transportation and hopefully help us win the war. So the federal government then got together the fossil fuel industry, which was oil and natural gas, along with chemical companies to come together and to work together to figure this out. And in doing that, they were able to come together to produce the society of the plastics industry. And it became a lobbying group, but it was initially what the idea was, was everybody coming together, taking these scientists as they make breakthroughs to be able to share their results so that we were able to have a stronger military, which if you think about it, that's science at its best form right there. And as we then came out of the war, it seemed like a great idea. Let's bring on plastic. So in the years following the war, plastic increased 300% compared to where it was previously. It was allowing things to be cheaper. It was making things lighter. It created 
new markets. So one of them that I'll attach in the show notes down below kind of looks at it from the aspect of like Coca-Cola and how Coca-Cola was shifting then from glass bottles to plastic bottles. But if you think about it, just the weight reduction, you didn't necessarily need to have a milkman or a delivery person as much because when you have glass bottles, you need to be able to recollect them to wash them out. When you go back to like the 1920s and one of the things that Coca-Cola will even talk about, when they were selling their Coca-Cola, one of the things that they would have to do in order for them to crack a profit was that they have to have people return the bottles because it was so labor intensive. And especially as they were starting to get where they could standardize the bottles, bringing and making new glass was expensive. So they were offering incentives for people to be able to return the bottle and be able to then get a cash discount, essentially. So if a Coke was 10 cents, when you return the bottle, you got 5 cents back. Making it and incentivizing for people to be able to do this process so they could wash them out. And the beautiful thing with these glass bottles is it could be used up to 50 times, typically before they started to degrade, and thus you could remelt down the glass to make a new glass bottle. But again, like we talked about, the weight made this so it was harder, it was heavier, you had to be more cautious, it was harder for a road trip. And that's where you look at plastic. Plastic just seems amazing. It's malleable, it's flexible, it can take a beating. There's old ads from like Pepsi and Coke talking about how on a drive home and you have to make those sudden stops and all these different things and the Coke bottles are flying all over the place, but yet they don't break, they don't spill. It's a great product. And what we had seen up to that point as part of society was we were a throwaway society. That's part of growing. That's part of industry. You're going to have waste. But then we had 1970 come. 1970 was when we had the first Earth Day here in the United States. And one of the big parts of Earth Day was And coming from the Gaylord Nelson being a United States senator from Wisconsin pushing this was the idea that we were going to have these landfills and all over the place. And so we needed to reduce our use of these throwaways so that we could have not dumps all over the place, but have a beautiful place to live. And fortunately for the plastics industry, they had already worked on this. They had created a company called the Keep America Beautiful. And if you are an old timer, you might recognize and remember like the old ad of what looks to be a Native American crying and looking at the waste of the land. And they did these advertising campaigns to make it look like us as the consumer was the problem. Even though it was the companies that were producing these products that were putting the problem there initially. So it started in 1953, but then especially pushing these ad campaigns out. And this was not anything new. They had initially, when plastic came into more of the modern society early in the 1950s, had been even promoting people through advertising to throw things away. And this then worked for about 20 years until 1987. And at that point, there was this push within people to end single-use plastics. Well, the plastic industry had looked into this in the 1980s and realized a couple things. Was 
the properties that had made plastic so amazing initially, the malleability, easy to work with, lightweight, they degrade super quickly, especially when you're trying to recycle. You might only get one, maybe two uses before you. it's really not usable. And the amount of expense in recycling and labor made it really cost prohibitive. So this was kind of something that was very hard to work with. So one of the things that then the plastic industry decided to put out, and this is a direct quote from the Society of Plastics Industries former president, Larry Thomas, coming out of the 1980s. If the public thinks that recycling is working, then they're not going to be as concerned about the environment, end quote. So one of the things that they then did was they introduced the resin identification code in 1988. This is on the bottoms of plastics where they have a number surrounded by arrows in a triangle that tells you what type of plastic it is, usually numbering one to seven. They purposely probably used the arrows around it to look very similar to the recycling logo that was in the public domain that had been used in the 1970s to make it appear as if things were recyclable. But it's really just an identification code of what type of plastic is being used. This then has gotten to the point where we have taken a society that, whereas in like 1948 with Coke bottles, with a two cent deposit at that point, people would return 96% of the bottles. To where now we have this throwaway society where we recognize more and more the gas and oil and the fossil fuels that it takes to be able to create plastic is creating more and more problems, especially as it's leaking into society. And many of us can't even get away from plastics. Polyester, nylon, elastic, so many of these different products are different types of plastic and they're in our everyday stuff. They're in our everyday life. The question then becomes, are we going to allow that to currently happen? When you look at countries like Germany or even over in the EU, there are recycling programs specifically of glass where they are getting about 98% of the bottles to return. This is not the case in the United States because there isn't the incentive to be able to do that except in a few states where there is still a slight deposit. But is that really the incentive enough for us to be able to do that? The thing that's so infuriating about a lot of this is looking at that the plastics industry had figured out that this was not good. They recognized that they were laying in and putting in additional fossil fuels into the environment that were hard on the environment, but it was out of convenience. And what they pushed was convenience. And then they pushed and made it that it was our problem, even though they're the ones who are producing the product and putting it out there with no plan on what the heck we're going to do with it after we consume their product. This is vice versa to what it was pre-plastic bottle. There was a desire to get that back so that they would be able to clean it and thus having a much closer knit communication in a way. And in a way, it brought us closer together by having bottles that we had to return. Actually, my grandparents are one of the few places left in the U.S. that there is a Sunkiss factory where, yes, you can get soda out of a glass bottle and we have to keep the glass bottles so that we can return them. It's really cool. It feels special. And it's unfortunate that that feels special. We as people should feel connected should feel like we are able to be part of something bigger. 
And when we have things where it's a throwaway society and where certain people are looking at the profit margins that make it easier for them, sometimes causes us to actually lose connection. What I look at when I look at this text is the Ten Commandments is, yes, it's us being right with God, but then us being right with each other, us not to be bare false witnessing. Coca-Cola has done this multiple times. They've had multiple campaigns campaigning about X percentage of their bottles is out of recycled plastic. But if you actually go into the studies, they don't meet it. So, for instance, 2005, they made the claim that it was 10% of the plastic used in the bottles were out of recycled plastic. They ended up getting up to 4%. In 2015, they upped it to 25% was going to be out of recycled plastic. The data that came out afterwards was they were up to 7%. Now, is recycling all bad? No. Because it's still a process in trying to help in a much bigger problem. And thus, even if we can have 10%, it's something. But it's also the recognition and the acknowledgement that sometimes we become blind to actually the bigger problems for everybody to put ourselves or a small group of people ahead of others. And that's what Jesus is kind of calling out here. It's not that Jesus is calling out fair labor. It's that Jesus is calling out the idea of somebody taking advantage of others. When I look at like what Coke making claims that they can't make, it's literally right here in the Old Testament reading in verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie against your neighbor. We're having claims that aren't being met. We're having things that saying that it's not a problem. It's not going to hurt the environment. Look at all the recycling that's happening. And yet then they're not able to use it. So then you have lied to us. We're looking at it from our perspective and taking into consideration a few people saying this is a good thing to do. This is better for us, for our product, the wisdom of man and not taking into the scope of humanity. I think we as people, all of us, no matter where we're at, need to keep this in mind. It's that fine line of having integrity, but also standing up for when things, even if it's for your benefit, aren't right. And because like we stated earlier, when we have these things that are actually able to be circular, it brings us closer together. It's authentic. It's real. It feels like we are actually supporting each other. When we don't do that, it actually hurts us, divides us, separates us. And thus, it doesn't feel real. When we're in this season of Lent and reflection, it sometimes also means of how do we support and care for our neighbor. So what do we do with all this? Well, I think that leads us to the question for this week is where do we need to stand together instead of standing apart? Where do we need to stand together instead of standing apart? Jesus was standing up for people being able to come together to God, working together that we were able to have people on an equal playing field at the temple, making sure that people were able to do their sacrifices and such to be able to communicate and be in closer relationship with God. We have our Ten Commandments laying out how we are supposed to try to be as ethical as we possibly can with each other. We have the Psalm and 1 Corinthians reminding us that the wisdom of us versus the wisdom of God is very different. And we have to remember and acknowledge that. And sometimes that means that we have to make a bit of a commotion and that's hard. 
finding that line that we aren't overdoing it, but also then finding the time where we need to stand together with people. And that doesn't just mean standing necessarily in line with people who you wholeheartedly agree with. It means that you can rally around a cause for the betterment of everyone, not just to issues that you feel are important. Jesus, we don't know where Jesus was fiscally. Who knows if Jesus probably could easily have sold this. It's more Jesus seeing injustice and standing up for that. And science showing that, yes, this is cool, but maybe we've overdone this to the point where the plastics aren't actually helpful. It's just that it's cheap. And I think it then causes a disconnect from us feeling as connected to each other as we should be. And I don't know about you, there is a part of me when I hear relatives and such of another generation talking about how connected communities were that I long for a more connection together. And that might mean that we have to actually work together to recognize where some of these injustices are and call them out and make a change. Yes, science can do amazing things and it can bring us together. There's also times where science has to admit when we've done something wrong or we've overextended what we say it can do. And in doing that, then we have to recognize and have the ability to admit our mistake and move forward. It builds upon the idea from last week that we have to be open to new ideas or be open to old ideas. And even if it seems impossible to go back to that, maybe it's something that we need to look at. We have to be able to work together and look at it from a global perspective. And especially when we look at the issue of plastics and yes, it's amazing that we've been able to produce these and yes, maybe there is a time and a place for some plastics. But I also would argue, I think we can all recognize that there's probably an overuse and overdependence on plastics and it hurts the environment. We know how we're using things that are not renewable at a rate that we cannot return from. So then maybe we need to be conscious and care about our neighbor and think about that as well. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.